Welcome. Good morning. Uh, I, I, I told somebody before I got started, hey, I'm going to sit on the floor like I did last week. And he's like, well, finally, you're going to get off your high horse and you know, not look down on the people. I say, I didn't know it was like that. So uh, welcome to civilian land down here on the, on the floor. I, I hope that you're doing well. We're, if you're going to follow along in your Bible, uh, we're going to spend most of our time in James 3, James chapter 3. James is kind of towards the end of your Bible. So if you can kind of see my scriptures just to help you find it, James chapter Chapter three, uh, and by way of announcement, one more thing is that um, Thanksgiving, as you know, is this week. So happy Thanksgiving to you all. Um, our food drive today is the last Sunday that we're collecting for that, but it's not too late. If you didn't bring anything, you're like, oh, I meant to bring something. Uh, if you leave today and you can go, you know, get some things. There's a donation box in the back. If you're in the room right now, you can see where I'm pointing. But if you're online, I might as well be pointing in your kitchen. But uh, there's a box back there with food drive marked on it. If you just drop your donation there, um, we're going to either collect it Monday or Tuesday and deliver it, which leads me to my next point. I would like to have some volunteers, maybe two or three, help deliver food Monday or Tuesday, uh, but that's just come see me after. Uh, we're in a series uh, today called Fabricating Truth, Fabricating Truth, and we're wanting to unravel self-deception because you and I, we have an incredible capacity of not just lying to people. I think most of us try to be honest with other people or as honest as we can. I think most of us, we're a little bit more inclined to lie to ourselves, tell ourselves that everything's okay when it's not, uh, to tell ourselves that what I did was really for the better of all people, and if they only knew what I was going through, they would know why I responded that way. We backfill all of our actions and all of our decisions telling ourselves that we are good, and in reality, instead of us living in the truth in that moment, we're living in a lie in that moment. A perfect example happened to me this this week. I, uh, I went to the doctor. I got this wonderful new cast put on. If you saw me last week, I was in a splint, which was temporary, and now I'm in a hard cast, and the doctor doctor. I'm talking to him. Uh, and he's the guy who did the surgery. He was in there with the cameras looking around. And I said, so what'd you see, doc? Like how bad was it? He goes, that thing was a mess. I said, oh really? How bad was it? He said, well, you had bone spurs. You had calcification of your tendon, whatever that means. Uh, you had the, I pulled out all kind of junk. It was really bad. It was much older than six months old. I told him, I, I, I don't, some random injury six months ago. I said, ah, it's much older than that. So what do you think? Like, like could have been like a football thing. So how long ago was that? I said, ah, that was about 20 years ago. Yeah, it could be. It could be. And here's, here's why I bring that up is that for the last 20 years, I've just kind of like, oh, Michael's fine. I've muscled through it. I pushed through it. But it didn't change the fact that for the last 20 years, it was slowly getting worse to the point I'm, I was about 10 years away from a full ankle replacement is what he told me. He's like, I think we caught it. We'll see. We'll see if it heals. Um, I've been lying to myself, saying to myself that my ankle is fine. This is just an analog for what we do all the time. Oh, my, my marriage is, is fine. Why? Well, I'll just believe it is. My, my relationship with my coworkers is fine. Oh, really? What, what makes you think? Oh, you know, they know I mean, well, you know, sometimes I just pop off at the mouth. It's fine. We, we lie to ourselves. In fact, if we get every evil, wicked person and the bully from your middle school and the one who's making fun of your kids now that you're like, somebody should do something about that. And we got all of them up here and paneled them and just asked them like, hey, why do you do the things that you do? They're going to have a reason, uh, a justification, and eventually they're going to say it was good. It was the right thing to do. It is false good. And this whole series is built around this idea that we can choose fake good 
Or we can choose true good, and only one person gets to define what true good is. And it's not me, and it's not you. It is God Almighty, the one who created this universe. And if we're going to experience true good in our lives, it's not going to be because he bent his definition to match our definition. It's going to be because we submitted our definition to his definition through truth and seeking it out. That's what this series is all about. We're wanting to fight uh, uh, self-deception so we need to identify some lie detectors, if, if I had to be honest with you. We need to identify some things because our heart is going to lie to us. We need to identify some things that we can point to and say, while my heart might be lying to me, that thing is telling me the truth. And last week we started with, it's our mouth. Our words will tell us the truth. That Jesus said, if you were here last week, you, you heard it, but he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Everything that I've said that comes out of my mouth, everything that I've regretted, everything that came from a place of humility, everything that came out that was a comfort to people and everything that came out that was a a damage to people, Jesus would say both sides of that coin come from an abundance of whatever was already in Jesse's heart. And that means that for me and for you, our mouth will tell us the truth about our heart as to whether or not it was good or bad in that moment, whether or not it's living in true good or self-deceptive good. He, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he goes on to say that out of, out of the abundance of the good treasures in your heart, your mouth speaks good things. Now out of the abundance of evil treasures in your heart, the things that we've heaped up or have been heaped up upon us and we haven't addressed uh, from childhood or whatever, out of the abundance of the evil treasures in our heart, the mouth speaks. Either way, though, the mouth isn't the problem. It's the heart. The mouth becomes the lie detector for your own heart. Your mouth won't deceive you, but your heart will. And so we just, last week we kind of began that, that looking at that. And so today I just want to continue looking at words, if I can. Like I, I said last week, like it was a big conversation. It will probably take us two weeks. And so I don't know if this means anything to you, but we're in a series. We're on week three of a series, but part two of words. I don't, I don't, I do make the notes, but I don't know if that makes sense to anybody. Um, we're going to continue looking at words. It is, it is all over the Bible. I did a funeral uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, funerals have different ways of doing them. A very common way, and this one was, uh, you go to the funeral home and you have the, you have the service in the funeral home. And so I did the service in the funeral home and gave the, the funeral sermon. And, uh, then we leave the funeral home and we go to the graveside. And then there's like another kind of a graveside moment. That's a very common way to do funerals. Uh, and at the end of the graveside moment, this woman that I've only met this one day comes up to me and she says, ah, Jesse, that was great. Thank you so much. I want you to do my funeral. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, maybe we should get to know each other. What's your name? She goes, ah, oh, you don't need to know anything. <laughs> I said, well, I feel like if I'm going to do your funeral, I should know something about you. She says, the only thing you need to know about me is my mouth talks a lot. I said, okay, I guess I can work with that. You know, and she has, a, she talks a lot. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll find out some more uh, in 20 years or whatever it's going to be when I do her funeral. Uh, my grandmother, she would tell you like her, her, her claim to fame, like she, she was a real estate agent. She was a bookkeeper. She was, she did taxes. She did all kinds of things. And she did all of it at like half the price of the rest of the industry. And if you asked her why, like, why, why don't you charge like a decent rate? And she, I just like talking to people. She, she would claim, she'd say, I'm the the mouth of the South. And so she would just sit in her office and you might pay half, but you're going to sit in her office double the amount of time because you're going to talk. All right. You're going to talk about your family. She's going to do some marriage counseling with you. Like that was just her because she enjoyed talking. (laughs) 
Bradley agrees that she, he, he knows. And so uh, for all of you who enjoy talking a lot, we're going to look at words. For some of you who are like, you know what? I haven't said a word since 1993. Like I'm an introvert. I don't, I don't really have a lot of, that I want to say. Then this, this is for you too. Uh, we want to we look at how the mouth becomes, the things that we say becomes the lie detector for our heart's self-deception. Not just the things we say to people when we're angry, but the things we say to ourselves when we're looking in the mirror and we're really hating on ourselves, uh, the things that we say when we're like, I'm not a good enough husband or I'm not a good, good enough mother or whatever, like the, the, the self-deprecating things are sometimes rooted in self-deception. Um, wouldn't you rather live in truth? Wouldn't that be good? So last week, we just, to make the case, I opened up Proverbs and we looked at four or five passages about words. And just in case you weren't here last week, I need to make the case that the Bible cares a lot about our mouth. It spends a lot of time talking about our mouth. I just want to look at four or five passages again out of Proverbs before we get to James, just to get our feet wet on how much the Bible talks about our mouth and what comes out of it in the words. I want to start with Proverbs 13, 3. Proverbs uh, 13.3 says, whoever, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips come to ruin. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Proverbs of the Bible, this is a very classic example. It's like an A-B statement. A goes in one direction and B is the same topic, but in another direction. If you guard your mouth, your life is preserved. But if you open wide your mouth and there's no reservation and you just say whatever comes to mind with no filter, the Bible says, Proverbs says, that it comes to ruin. Your mouth has the ability to steer your life towards Protection and preservation, or to ruin and and and, and regret. Proverbs uh, eleven nine. Another again, just looking at a ton of proverbs. Uh, proverbs eleven nine. It says, "With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered." With our mouth, we have the ability to tear down other people, to tear down our neighbor, or in this passage, to even destroy our neighbor. But by knowledge. Uh, the righteous are delivered. Our mouth has incredible power. Can I just add, this isn't a sermon on this, but just a, a quick observation. Um, it's the mouth of the wicked that is tearing down someone, but you know what protects that person? It's not the other person. It's not his mouth going back at him. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say like, well, he tore you down. That gives you full right to just tear him back down. Well, I don't like the way your fence looks, buddy, and your dog barks too much, and the neighbors just go at it, and that's how he protects himself. No, the wicked is using his words to tear somebody down. The righteous person knows how to keep his mouth shut, and with knowledge survives the tearing down. It's you and I who spend our time studying God's word and applying it and it building up into our hearts and our knowledge of what the truth of what God is, it builds up like a defense so that when your neighbor or your coworker or whoever it is in your life is trying to tear you down with words, it just doesn't have the effect anymore. It's by knowledge that we are defending words. Uh, we don't get a free reign, although we would love to. <laughs> we don't get a free reign to just open our mouth and tear back into them. Well, they started it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll look at that some more, maybe at another time. Proverbs uh, 11, 11, just two more verses later, uh, says this. 11, 11, it's not there. Oh, well, somebody took it out here. Uh, uh, we'll just, uh, you guys can look that up. I think I took it out on purpose. Proverbs 21, 23. Uh, we'll look at that one. Proverbs 21, 23. 
Is that in there? Yes. Okay. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. You want to, <laughs> some of us are laughing like, yeah, yeah. I wish, I wish I read that verse about three weeks ago, Jesse. I would be out of trouble right now. Sometimes when the, the hole is being dug, it's just time to just, you just, you just stop talking. And like things stop getting worse. <laughs> it's, it's a magic. It's biblical. It's like biblical truth. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. I'll read one more proverb because I really want to get to James and try to unpack this some more. I'm just, again, making the case. The Bible talks a lot about the mouth. Proverbs 31 verses 8 and 9. See, it's not just that we need to keep our mouth shut, although that is probably 90% of what you and I need to learn to do, especially as Americans. We've learned, like, I've got something to say, I'm going to say it. But sometimes we are called as followers of God to open our mouth for certain causes. Look at this. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. You know, some of us, we, we, uh, we need to speak up for the defenseless. We need to speak up for the one who doesn't yet have a voice or the one who has been put down. We need to, we need to be defending the weak in our lives. And I think everybody in here probably has somebody in their lives that is like, yeah, it's just justice isn't happening there. We need, somebody should speak up for him or her. Well, you and I who are followers of God, when we know true good, uh, we keep our mouth shut on defending ourselves, but to defend that person who is defenseless, we should open our mouth and we should speak up. Uh, so says the word of God. So last week we, we were, we made the case like the Bible deals a lot with the mouth and the words. And then we're like, but why? Why do these words come out of our mouth? And Jesus says it's, it's telling us the truth about our heart. It's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, I want to look at James, and I want to unpack a little bit more about what that looks like for you and I. Uh, especially, I want to talk to anybody in here who is not a hundred percent perfect. If if I could just get maybe the one or two of you that that fits, that like you know sometimes I'm really good with my mouth, and sometimes I'm not. And it's sort of like, well, which one am I? Am I evil or am I good? Am I am I am I doing? Am I, is my mouth helping or is it hurting? And some of us will be like, uh, it's both. Anybody the both category? Um, yes. Okay. There's head nods. It's okay. It's I see them, but everybody else is blind to it. They don't. They don't see it. James three is going to help us kind of understand what we do with that truth. What do we do with the truth of that? Sometimes two different things are coming out of our mouth depending on the season, depending on the time. Um, James is uh, is a fascinating character. I mean, it's, he's a book of the Bible. He wrote the book of James. But as a person, uh, just to set this up real quick, he is Jesus's little half-brother, okay? So when Jesus was born, he was an only child to Mary and his stepdad, Joseph. Uh, but Mary and Joseph had other children, and one of them is James. Another one of them is Jude, and there's some, some others or some sisters. But James is not a follower of Jesus before Jesus goes to the cross. This blows my mind. He is someone who grew up with Jesus. Jesus was like, you know, he's his big brother. Think of your big brother who thinks he's perfect. Jesus was actually perfect. Okay, so imagine that little brother moment. You're a middle brother and your oldest brother is literally the perfect son of God. Like, come on. Mary's like, James, can't you be more like your brother? No, I can't. He's perfect. 
And so you see all through Scripture, uh, you see a couple of times in the New Testament that the brothers and sisters of Jesus appear. And when they appear, they are not followers of Jesus. They're kind of dismissive of Jesus being the Messiah. They're dismissive that he is the Christ. You don't see them as followers of Jesus until we get to the book of Acts. What changes between the Gospels and the book of Acts is that Jesus died on the cross, a sinner's death, and then three days later he was resurrected. You want to know, big brothers, how you convince your little brothers that you were the perfect son of God? You tell them, I'm going to die, and in three days I'm going to come back, and then you do it? They will follow you. They will do whatever you want. So much so that James becomes a leader of the church in Jerusalem. You can read that in the book of Acts. He believes that his older brother is the son of God. And he starts teaching the same teachings as Jesus. And so the book of James, I just love looking at it because it's, it's the, it's the book of someone written that didn't get it right the first few years that he could have gotten it right. But then after the fact, he comes to faith in Jesus. Um, just, Anyway, fascinating little biography. Let's, let's look at James chapter 3, and we'll see where he goes. Not many of you, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brother. So first, like, out the shoot is like a warning. Maybe not everybody that is a Christian should become a teacher of the word, okay? Why? Why is that? He says, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Anybody who picks up the Bible to teach should know that verse and should know how serious teaching this message is. Because if we get up and we teach a message that is contrary to God's truth, we who are teaching that are the ones who are going to be held in strict judgment for leading the people astray and helping to build fake good instead of true good. And so we, uh, not many of you should become teachers because we know that those who teach will be judged um, with greater strictness. Let's continue because he's going to unpack this more. For verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. I wonder in that moment, did James like think about an argument he had with Jesus at some point? I don't know. Uh, like when James says we all stumble in many ways, I wonder if he actually thought of moments that he stumbled. I wonder... I wonder if I say the phrase like, hey, we're not perfect. You and I, we all stumble in many ways. Do you immediately think of one or two instances of a stumble? Um, when we think about our mouth, do we think about moments where we like some good came out of our mouth and other times we stumbled and some evil and meanness came out of our mouth? Um, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. What's, what's fascinating to me is what James is about to do is he's going to make the case that we should pay attention because none of us are perfect. Um, if we were perfect, our mouths would be perfect. Uh, we would be able to bridle our tongue. A perfect man would never have a problem with his mouth, and yet we all stumble in many ways. The reason why this is a life-giving message, even before I unpack the rest of this, the reason why this is a life-giving message is because the fact that you and I are not perfect usually becomes the excuse that our heart gives us to say evil things, to do evil things, to get revenge on someone. Well, I'm not perfect and neither are they, and so I'm going to get to say what I want. That is backwards thinking. See, see when we come face-to-face -face with the facts that we're not perfect, just like James said, you're, none of us are perfect. We all stumble in many ways, and you can see it because our mouths are proving it to us. Um, 
we, we should be able to control ourselves a little bit better. And, and so let's, let's make the case for it. Verse, in the next few verses, James is going to give us three examples in which the small mouth is causing big, big problems. Look, look at where he goes first. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Uh, I'm not I'm not a horse guy. I've, I've ridden a couple of horses. It's pretty fascinating how strong a horse is. I don't know if you've ever been hit by a horse, uh, but they are monsters. Like if they got mad at you, they'll bite you. They'll take a leg. Uh, they can kick. Like a horse is incredibly powerful, and yet everybody who's ridden a horse has controlled this beast that is stronger than them, that can do amazing damage to them, but has controlled the beast with this little piece of metal that's about four inches long and some rope on it by putting a bit in that horse's mouth was able to control the whole thing. And James is using this as a metaphor that if you want to be a perfect man, control your, your mouth. Um, let's look at another example. Verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now, you and I, we live we live near the coast. Uh, many of you go fishing. Uh, if you go to Port Nature's uh, Park and you look at the ships go by, which if you're a parent is easy, free parent moment. Like you want to, you bring like a five-year-old to the river, you're set for like four hours. Like you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to spend any money because these ships are huge. They're as big as football fields coming down that river. And you know what keeps them from hitting you and every other kid who's sitting on the bank clapping? Uh, the smallest part of the ship that is in the water water is the rudder, and that is what is steering it up and down the river channel. Basic physics, none of us are surprised by that. And James is using that as an example to say, just like your mouth, you think, oh, it's not doing a lot. It's really small. But look at that ship. It's controlled by the smallest piece of it. He has a third example. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. That I've, I've heard that phrase before. Um, it never really registered with me until this past summer when we had the drought and we had just forest fires all over the place. And I don't know if you paid attention to the forest fires, but it was always like this forest fires taken out, you know, 120 acres or whatever like that. And then they researched and it was like, yeah, some, some kid just threw a cigarette butt out and just kind of caught the whole town on fire. It's like just the smallest little spark caused all this damage. The small, like, it's so insignificant. That kid, whoever he was, was just like driving down the road and he just flicks a cigarette butt out as he's done a thousand times. And it's never hurt anybody before, but because the conditions were such as they are, it set half of Louisiana on fire. And James is like, you know, the mouth is kind of like that. Our tongues are kind of like that. It does. Sometimes we think it's just a mouth. I just said it one time. It was last week, but we don't know how much damage our words can do, especially parents to children. I, I said last week, and when, when, when I put my like counselor hat on and I'm sitting down with folks and we're just talking, it doesn't take long. And it's almost 90% of the time before this adult who is in their 40s, 50s or older is telling me something that mom and dad said to them when they were a child that is still bouncing around in their head because the actions that we're doing today are trying to prove that mom and dad are wrong. What great fire and blaze has been set by just the words of the mouth. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, 
a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. James is, he's not pulling any punches right now. I wonder if as he was writing it, he was thinking about this time where Jesus was in Capernaum and he was making fun of him. Because the scripture says that his brothers kind of teased him about being the Messiah. Why don't you just go to Judah? Go go to Jerusalem, I mean. And just go ahead and go down there and just tell them, you know, they may kill you, but you know, whatever. Go go ahead. If you're really who you say you are, go ahead and go. I wonder if James is thinking about times that he was making fun of the Christ. Uh, He's like, it's just set on fire. So much damage I've done. If you're old enough to understand what I'm saying in this room or online or wherever you are, you're old enough to have regrets that your mouth has put you in. Fires that your tongue has set and you're just like, golly, I did it again. I wish I wish I didn't. What about what are you supposed to do with that? How do we answer for that? How do we how do we correct that? What 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 can you do? Um it's not hopeless. Um but the first step to getting our feet under us on this is being honest with ourselves and telling our heart, no, honestly, heart, you got to stop doing that because you're setting my entire world on fire. You have to get your feet under you. The, as long as we're justifying the fires that we're setting, we're not moving forward. We're going to continue damaging those that we love around us. But the moment we start to own our mouth and say, no, mouth, you're going to do what I say. We're going we're gonna to change this course is when we have healing. He continues, verse 7, he's talking about how easy it is to tame everything, and yet we, you and I, none of us are perfect. We all stumble. Uh, We can't tame our mouth. Verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Just go to the zoo. You have every animal you could ever want. They've got them. They've got them captured. Um, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And then look at, look at what he says we do with it. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Here, here's a, a problem that you and I have to, have to reckon with. Um, it wasn't just you, and it wasn't just me, that was made in the image of God and all the other idiots of the world are just like, I don't know what image they're in. There's something else, you know, that the guy on the, on the road that we're mad at, the, the person at work that we're mad at, our, our spouse or whatever. Every human you've ever met that has a face was made in the image of the holy and righteous God with a goal and a desire to represent him in all of this world. When our mouth curses another image bearer of God, we should kind of pause. James is saying, how is it that we go to church and we sing the songs that we just sang and we bless God with our mouths and then with it, we curse those who are made in his image? That That is hypocrisy. Can, can we agree? Can we agree that that makes me a hypocrite? Jesse's a hypocrite, yeah? I was, uh, I, I kind of referenced this, and I, I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to because I feel like I'm in a safe place. I'm, I'm driving down the road right before my ankle surgery. My ankle is hurting. Traffic is, is backed up. Uh, they, they're doing some, some road construction in front of my house and probably in front of everybody else's house in Texas. I don't know why there's so much road construction right now. And the, the, the traffic is we're supposed to all merge into one lane, but it's about a quarter mile ahead and I need to turn left in a moment before the merger. And so somebody decides, 
to do the same thing that I've done a thousand times, and that is to block the lane to keep people from zooming up ahead because they merged. I get the logic. Uh, I understand why they did it. And like I said, I've done it a thousand times, except I'm not trying to cheat and get in front of everybody. I'm trying to get to some medicine for my ankle. I'm angry. I'm rushed. I'm trying to get up here and turn left. And like traffic has stopped and I rolled down my window and I said, hey, hey, she rolls down her window. Hey. And I said, hey, you're blocking me from my house. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I was mad and I was raising my voice. I didn't curse at her. I didn't say anything. Like I could say everything right now that I said to her and I I wouldn't be afraid that it was recorded. But mostly what I was frustrated with was myself because after that moment, I was like, why did I feel like I needed to tell some other driver how to drive? Well, who do I think that I am? And you know what I did? I started saying things like, well, Jesse, your ankle was hurting really bad and they were blocking you from your house. And like, I justified it so fast. It's so weird how quickly I justified myself. And then I sat down and I thought, what gives me the right to justify myself? That, um, to apply, I didn't think this at the time, but to apply what James said is that one image bearer was mad at another image bearer of God for how they were acting and decided I'm going to correct that image bearer. It's not my place. Um, it's not my place. It wasn't her place to do that either, but that's neither here nor there. It wasn't my place either. And my mouth, it just, it moves so fast sometimes. And then I regret it. And, you know, poor woman, like she's like, some, I'm sure, tells her husband, somebody yelled at me on the road. I, I'm sorry, lady, if, if you're hearing this, I'm, I'm really sorry. It's not usually my nature. Um, it was a bad day. And so just like you, I stumble. And just like you, I've set fires. What do we do with it? Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. They are so, but it's not how things should be. We see that in the design. We shouldn't be that kind of person. And then he asks this question, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? I don't know if you know much about springs, but no, it should be just the one. It's either going to be fresh or it's salt, but it's not like every 30 seconds just switches waters all of a sudden. It's either going to be fresh water or salt water. Uh, it continues, it says, uh, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's the same as what Jesus said uh, last week is a tree is going to be known by its fruit. It's either good fruit, good tree. Bad fruit, bad tree. It's either salt water, salt, you know, salt water, or it's fresh water, fresh, fresh spring. Some of us, um, we can get a little salty with our speech and then we justify it's like, ah, it's coming from a good place. No, it's not. You know how I know it's not? Because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> you know, like, like this is, this is what I'm saying. Like we use God's truth to tell our hearts when it's lying to us. And we tell our hearts, you know, the Bible said that came from a bad, wicked, evil place, Jesse. We should do something about that. What should we do? Um, the verses won't, won't come up, but I, just real quick, you know, if you just read First John, it's going, to, it's going to tell you what you should do. You should confess your sins. When you, when you do something wrong, don't defend it. Don't let your heart do that. It will do that, and it will do it quick. Confess your sins to God. You don't have to confess them to other people, but James will say in just a chapter or two later, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. The way that we stop lying to ourselves is that we stop lying to ourselves. We stop lying to God and we stop lying to other people. And we just own some stuff, guys. We stop defending it because we either are going to be salty or we're going to be fresh, but we're not going to be both. 
I don't know about you, but I want to be, I, I'm tired of being brackish. You know, those of us who live close enough to the coast, we're like, oh, brackish water. Like the tide rolls in and you got to change your lure because the fish are completely different. Like, I, I'm tired of that. I should just, I should just be a spring of, of fresh water. As we close, I want to reflect on two things. One is this, is your words can be fresh water or salt water. Um, it shouldn't be both. And you should own both. In, in Israel, there are two main seas, two main lakes that they have. They're about 100 miles apart, and they're connected by the Jordan River. Um, in the north is the Sea of Galilee. It's full of life. It's fresh water. The entire fishing industry, every fishing parable you ever heard Jesus say was at that lake, the Sea of Galilee, um, and it was just full of life and wonder. The other major lake is the Dead Sea. It is the saltiest place on earth. Uh, up until a few years ago, I had a bottle of Dead Sea water. It is so salty, y'all. Like I would let you taste it, but I, I don't have it anymore. It is so salty that if you put a drop of it on your tongue, it doesn't taste salty. It burns like, like acid, like battery, like you lick the battery. Think of licking a nine volt battery. That's how salty the Dead Sea is. And it's full of nothing but death. There might be like one microbe. There's no fish there. Um, there's no life there. There's nothing good there unless you just want to go and float around for a minute. Like, it's just salty. What is the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea? Um, just architecturally, that's not the right word. Uh, the, the Sea of Galilee has water coming into it and water going out of it. It's a two-way street. The Dead Sea is so low, it's so far below sea level that it has no outlets going out of it. It is just water in all directions flowing towards the Dead Sea and then evaporating away. The difference between the Sea of Galilee, the freshwater, and the Dead Sea is that, that one of them lets the stuff that comes into it, all the good that comes into it, go back out to bless the next river, the next tertiary, the next waterway. The Dead Sea just takes and takes and takes and gets saltier and saltier and bitterer, bitter, bitterer. I don't know how to say it. Uh, more bitter and more bitter and more bitter. If we're not careful, you and I, we get so comfortable being salty that in five years we're more bitter. And in 10 years we're more bitter. We're not letting any of it out. We're not letting any of the injuries out. We're not letting any of the pain out. We're not letting any of God's blessings out. We're like, I just need another blessing. I'll take it down. And we just take and we take and we take and we never find healing. And eventually someone just looks at me, man, you are salty, girl. Why? Well, mind your business. <laughs> you know, uh, if you want, if you want to be that fresh water, if you want your words to be fresh and you want your heart to have good treasures in it, you need to let some stuff out. You need to let some pain out. You need, to, you need to let some of God's blessings that he's blessed you with, whether that be with time, energy, finances, to bless other people with time, energy, finances, that you pass it along so you don't become bitter. Your words, your mouth can be fresh water or salt water. The, the next thing is that I, I would invite you, uh, just like last week, to, to kind of take ownership of your words. I would invite you to measure your words by grace and truth. That's, that's our, our phrase, but it's a really helpful uh, way of understanding like where, where things fit. Like, did that thing out of your mouth, was it true? Did it need to be said? Did it actually point them in the right direction? And was it for their best interest? I'm kind of short on time, but I could give an entire 30-minute talk about just measuring your words with grace and truth. If you, if you think of grace as you wanting something good for another person, 
You, you, you telling them a thing because you want them to be better. You want to benefit them. You want to be a blessing to them. But if it's low on truth, then you will say whatever you need to say. You will tell them that they're good when they're bad. You will lie to people. And we've all done it. Hey, how does this dress look? It's like, oh, hmm, how do I do this with grace and truth? No, no, you, you, you give, you give the true statement. Am I in trouble for saying anything like that? Everybody looked at my wife. I, I just was thinking of an example. That's for everybody else. Uh, if the, the, you, you, you tell your kids not just things that are nice, but you tell them things that are true. Um, some of us, this is really the normal way that Christians operate, um, is that they're really high on grace and low on truth because we just, we beat around the bush. We get unclear. We don't, we don't address things that need to be addressed because you know, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Some of us, though, are the opposite. Some of us are so high on truth and low on grace, like we just tell people like it is, you know, and you get like grisly when you get like that. You're like, you know what? You know, sometimes you just got to say it, you know, they, they got to hear it. Really? Did, you, did it come out of love? Did it come out of place of them being better? Or were you just trying to put them in their place? Well, she was in the wrong lane. Who cares? Um, we should measure our words by, if you think of it as an X, Y axis, grace, high in grace and high on truth. And we get to this place where you're having really hard conversations with a heart that is tender, wanting what's best for people. So it's kind of hard conversations where you're kind of crying halfway through and you're just like, I've been holding back, but I just, I've got to tell you, blah, 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 blah. And you know what happens when you have that first conversation like that? And some of you are thinking right now, like I know the conversation I need to have that's full of grace and full of truth. When you have it, that wall that dam in your heart that is holding all that salt water back, it breaks and your heart becomes a little bit more fresh water. You start to let, you start to teach people about God's goodness. You yourself are, are healing in an effort to help them heal. Our mouths, ladies and gentlemen, are a lie detector of our heart. And you don't have access to your heart, but the Lord does. Bring your heart to him. You do have access with your words, though. And I would invite you to measure your words, own your words. If there's something you don't like about your words, be quick to apologize. And then fresh water comes out of your mouth for that salt water that came out yesterday, you know. Uh, and and we stop, we stop defending ourselves. And we stop saying, well, they had it coming. Or they treated me like that first. There are zero examples of Scripture where you get to talk bad to people because they talk bad to you first. Um, sometimes it's keeping our mouth shut. Sometimes it's speaking truth and grace. I'm uh, four minutes over. I apologize. Let's pray together. Uh, and then we will watch the cue together. Father, um, Father, we thank you, uh, that, uh, you have, you have instructions in your scripture that, that kind of go against the grain of, of where we're heading. Um, but Lord, if, if you didn't, uh, we would lead ourselves to self-destruction, lying to ourselves all the way down. I pray, Lord, for, for the men and women uh, in this room and the men and women hearing my voice, that we would have the courage to deal honestly with ourselves, to deal honestly with you and with one another. May we, uh, may we not bless you with our mouths and curse others with the same mouth. Lord, teach us, teach us to be consistent and teach us to live in true good, and teach us what your good is. I pray, Lord, that as we uh, begin the work of working on our mouth, that you would you would guide us, and that even now, this week, as we prepare for Thanksgiving and families, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, our, our holidays are sweeter as a result of us uh, being mindful of this. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.